Hello and welcome to Small Town BS episode 2. Thank you for tuning in. It is Friday, January 31st as I'm recording here. And I have a new microphone for episode 2, so hopefully the sound quality is a little bit noticeably better than last time around. Uh, But anyways, today on the show, uh, the Super Bowl is two days away. We'll talk a bit about that. Also on the show today is Darius Smith talks, uh, tells Pro Football Talk live that the Packers were not ready to play the 49ers in the NFC Championship game. I have thoughts on that. And uh, first, though, I wanted to talk about the news that is still rattling the sports world, uh, that being the tragic death of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gianna, and seven others in a helicopter pra- crash last Sunday morning. Uh, everyone has their own unique takeaway from this as, as either a sports fan a parent, just really as a human being, or simply someone who just appreciated his legacy. Um, For myself as a sports fan, I was deeply saddened by the news, Um, but also as a journalist, I was rather upset with the way uh, the situation was reported. I felt that, you know, some shady ethical decisions were made, um, and uh, some things that I was rather upset about that I want to get into. I thought a couple news organizations just completely lost their heads and wanted to talk about that on the podcast today. For those of you who don't know, uh, my previous employer was a small-town newspaper in the Beloit area of Wisconsin near the Illinois border. And uh, as a general general news reporter uh, for that publication, uh, I had the opportunity to cover a wide variety of things, um, which also included uh, some area tragedies. Uh, I covered a shooting um you know, kind of a drug-related shooting um, towards the end of my tenure there, and you know, had the opportunity to be close to situations that were um, very similar to what what reporters were dealing with in terms of the ethical decisions they were making Sunday afternoon as the Kobe news broke. So I, we'll get into that, but um, I kind of wanted to start with just the the timeline and how. I was getting these facts uh, relayed to me. I'm sure it was not too different uh, from the way any of us that were following this situation um, were kind of gathering these facts. I was kind of scrolling through Twitter as I was uh, getting ready to watch the Pro Bowl. Didn't really have a lot of plans for Sunday afternoon, so I was tuning into the Pro Bowl. And, um, you know, I began to see things that suggest that uh, Kobe Bryant has passed and, um, you know, uh, the first news organization that, uh, seemed to have this was TMZ. And, um, you know, that kind of gets me into the first issue that I had with this whole situation and how it was reported because it, it later came out, um, as the sheriff, uh, pointed out in his press conference later that, Sunday evening, um, that the families had not been notified yet. And that is, um, fairly typical of the, of the timeline. Uh, obviously this, you know, had just happened, uh, I believe around 10 AM, uh, local time out West. Um, so this was still very fresh. Um, the police were obviously still very much in their fact finding process and, Um, you know, they're not giving out a lot of substantive confirmation typically with that, um, you know, with that kind of incident happening. When I was covering, uh, the shooting in Beloit on December 23rd of, I believe 2015, that would have been, um, 
you know, my, my first, uh, awareness of it was actually a tweet that came across my feed, like pretty much right when I was ready to clock out. Obviously it was the day before Christmas Eve. That was also a Friday. Um, and the way it had kind of worked out for me is that, um, I was the weekend reporter, so I was going to be in charge of any breaking news that occurred uh, anywhere on that weekend. But I also, at the time, uh, you know, was kind of a hour plus away from my family. So I worked out something with another reporter who was staying local um, so that they would cover anything on Saturday or Sunday and I would just have Friday night. So uh, I was just kind of wrapping things up on Friday night and I see this tweet uh, from a TV news station, I believe, in the area that a shooting had occurred. Um, I was the first uh, reporter on the scene there because they were uh, a TV station not based in Beloit. And, um, uh, you know, within within a few minutes of seeing that tweet, because it was literally, I think, believe I believe within two miles of uh, our newsroom, um, you know, I was on scene there, uh, kind of climbing over snowdrifts, trying to get a photo of the police working on the crime scene. Um, and then throughout the rest of that night, I remember most of it being contacting, uh, you know, our contact in the police office for updates on the investigation, um, the apprehension of the eventual su- suspect, and also the status of the victims. Basically, a quick synopsis of what kind of happened there. Um, from what I remember, there were uh, two individuals meeting up with a third individual for a drug exchange. There was a squabble over the price and that led to, um, you know, one of the two individuals that were together and the third individual, uh, pulling guns on each other. Shots were fired in both directions. Um, and one of the two guys, uh, ended up passing away and, uh, the, the third individual that they met up with was also shot in the jaw. And, you know, uh, as I'm as I'm gathering facts from this, obviously I had a, a previous uh, kind of relationship just talking th- throughout the weeks as uh, incidents would come up with the uh, police office. I had a contact over there that, um, you know, we could be rather frank with each other about things that were newsworthy and not as newsworthy. And, um, you know, so there was a, there was a, kind of a trust there and a, a sense of, um, you know, Zach's not going to make a big deal about this if it's not a big deal. And, and he's going to give me, um, the information. So that, that's just part of any rapport that is developed between a journalist and a source is, um, uh, is, is just that kind of relationship is, um, exchanging information and, um, you know, reporting it in an ethical way. Um, that, that leads to the development of a good source. And, um, you know, I remember one of my preliminary phone calls with our, our source at the police department there. Um, you know, he told me something off the record, which is obviously going to stay off the record, but uh, he told me something about the status of uh, the people involved um, that wasn't official yet. And he told me it, he told me it, you know, explicitly off the record. And, um, at that point you're, you're faced with an ethical choice as a journalist. Um, you know, you've basically been confirmed something by a source in the know and you have to decide, um, you know, is it worth 
being right on this first or, or getting this out first and, um, you know, potentially being wrong if something were to change? Um, or do you wait for the official confirmation? And, um, you know, that kind of takes me back to TMZ and the situation with Kobe. Um, you know, they, they decided to go with this. And the initial report was that um, Kobe and four others on a helicopter, uh, you know, were killed in this crash. And, you know, that obviously that number ended up changing. And um, that kind of lended itself to just this, you know, for lack of a better term, almost, you know, almost gold rush for the information um, as news outlets, you know, were, you know, just absolutely throwing everything they had at, um, you know, any official who could confirm this situation. And um, it was, it was regrettable uh, for me as a journalist, because I'm also sitting there thinking, we didn't confirm uh, the name of the individual who was um, who who ended up perishing from the incident uh, until the coroner identified them, uh, I believe, the following Monday or Tuesday uh, in our in our situation. So, um, you know, for them to right away, I realize you know a small town drug shooting and um, Kobe Bryant getting in a helicopter incident are not perfect parallels when it comes to uh, their newsworthiness and stuff like that. But um, this was just not handled with a deft hand by TMZ um, and a couple other new news outlets that I, I want to get into as well. Um, uh, it, that was just a incredibly unfortunate situation for uh, that family uh, because you're obviously um, – you're thinking about the, you know, Vanessa Bryant and the, and the kids, um, and just the impact on them to find out, uh, you know, their parent has passed away through TMZ. Like the sheriff later pointed out is reprehensible. Um, they should absolutely have, uh, held off, I believe for, to ensure that next of kin were notified before that happened. That was, um, just reprehensible by TMZ. Um, and then uh, the other thing that, that bothered me, um, and I want to touch a little bit on why I think this happened, um, but there was a report, um, as as I'm continuing to watch the, the Super, uh, sorry, not the Super Bowl, the Pro Bowl, uh, they cut away for a special report shortly after 2 p.m., uh, from ABC as the Pro Bowl's going on uh, from their field reporter, Matt Gutman. Um, and it was just, I, I wasn't the only one who heard this because I, I definitely saw on, on social media, a lot of other people were like, did he really mean to say that? Um, and he seemed to kind of garble his facts. Obviously, they threw him on there um, on relatively short notice and uh, just told him, you know, you need to give an update on this. And you know, I don't think that's terribly uncommon. Um, if you've seen the the show, the newsroom. Oh, excuse me, there. Uh, if you've seen the, the show, the newsroom, uh, there is a scene where they cover the shooting of Congresswoman Gabby Giffords in 2011, and 
really a lot of the stuff that's portrayed there is the way this stuff kind of goes. There's a call by a network executive to, um, you know, producers to identify that they're going to be breaking in to their coverage and um, kind of overriding their report. Um, and um, in this particular situation, I mean, ESPN uh, had to think that as they're televising the Pro Bowl, which is already, I'm sure, not a ratings cow for their network, um, and then this news breaks that, you know, I'm sure there's some executive who is kind of selfishly sitting there in, in the in their room thinking, we are not ha- going to have an eyeball on our network if we don't have somebody, you know, within the next, basically as soon as possible, uh, talking about Kobe Bryant. So, um, unfortunately, that's kind of the nature of the business. And um, in that in that scene about the coverage of Gabby Giffords in the, in the show, The Newsroom, um, there's a there's a line from a network executive where he says, you know, every second you're not current, a thousand people are changing the channel to the guy who is. That's the business you're in, and that really is not too far from the truth. I mean, it it basically is spot on there that, um, you know, people want to be on the network that is up to date with the news. And, um, I don't blame them for sparing a thought, uh, to that particular thing. But as Gutman reports this, he, um, kind of garbles his facts and gives a statement where he says that all four of Kobe's daughters were on board the aircraft. Uh, and obviously the math of that added up because it was, you know, the initial reports were five people on the aircraft. And, um, you know, it, I believe it later came out too that uh, Kobe Bryant had a pilot's license. So it was conceivable uh, that he could have been flying the aircraft with all four daughters on board. So now social media is freaking out. Um, you know, it is just a nightmare as speculation runs rampant. And really that report just kind of sat there for what was, what felt like almost an hour. There was no correction issued by Gutman, even though it sounded like he was uh, misspeaking for several hours um, on, at least on social media from what I saw. And uh, on the same channel, if you were watching the Pro Bowl, I didn't see any subsequent correction to that report, uh, which is, you know, again, reprehensible journalism to not immediately correct that, or even have the commentators of the Pro Bowl, um, you know, just say something to follow up. By the way, you know, our reporter misspoke. Uh, Obviously, they wouldn't know that, but have a producer, you know, say to them, oh, you know, Mark got this wrong. Like, can you guys just correct this for our viewers? Because that sat there for a while, and people were you know, kind of losing it over that. And obviously, you know, it was a tragedy anyway, you slice it. Um, but to suggest that Kobe's entire family had basically perished in this helicopter accident um, was just reprehensible reporting. If you don't know, it's, if you don't know for sure, it's a fact. So uh, that, you know, again, that report hangs in there for about like an hour. Um, and I think, the first correction I saw to that was uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, a.k.a. Woj, of ESPN, who reported uh, it was Kobe, his daughter Gianna, as well as another player and parent. And uh, I believe there was no other confirmation of the fifth person, but 
uh, I think the general assumption at that particular time was that, you know, the fifth person was, was the pilot. Um, and really just, you know, in general, it was fascinating to watch this whole thing unfold on social media Sunday afternoon and evening. Um, there was just rumors flying all over the place, people not really realizing the power that they have over social media to, you know, start rumors and speculation and, and people just generally passing things on that sound juicy but are not rooted in fact. But, yeah, then as I was saying, um, you know, there were, there were rumors flying around. Uh, Rick Fox talked about it uh, a couple days ago. Uh, where he talked about the rumor that was floating around that he was on the aircraft. And, you know, that that I don't believe was started by a journalist. I uh, it was kind of tough to track that one down, but I believe someone who may have thought they were in the know on that, um, you know, put that out on social media, and that just spread like wildfire. Um, you know, it, it really places a premacy on both what journalists share as well as what any of us put on social media uh, because really in this day and age, I mean, you see tweets on your timeline all the time from people who go viral over this, that, or the other thing. Um, anybody's, you know, post can go viral or uh, get a lot more traction than maybe they ever intended. So it, it is very important for all of us to, um, be careful about what we post and, and the things that we uh, insinuate about something and just throw up there because there is uh, great gravity to posting, you know, rumors of, of any kind about a situation like that. So, um, and obviously Rick, you know, rightfully pointed out a couple of days later uh, and I believe TNT did kind of a, um, you know, discussion of, Kobe Bryant's life and legacy and, and Rick rightfully was given a few minutes there to just talk about, um, you know, how impactful that was to his family. You know, he talked about how his daughter, uh, one of her nightmares was finding out over social media or, um, you know, in, in some other context other than directly from family that her father or anyone, a family member had passed away. And um, just the hurt that that family endured uh, this week, in addition to their close association with Kobe's family as well, uh, had to have just been completely devastating to that family. Um, I also wanted to to not minimize and also touch on the the other victims of this uh, particular incident. Uh, obviously, stuff coming out throughout the rest of the evening on John and Carrie Altabelli, their daughter Alyssa Altabelli, Christina Mauser, Sarah Chester, Peyton Chester. And the pilot, Ara Zobayan, obviously thoughts and prayers with all of their families as well. It certainly can't be easy for any of these families to li live this out so publicly. Grieving and mourning is obviously a very personal um, situation. And, you know, it, it, it must be devastating to these families to be living this out. Uh, and I'm sure some of them rightfully feeling like the death of their loved one is kind of a footnote in this whole thing. And um, obviously those of us um, in the media as well as, you know, general consumers of this information are obviously thinking of them and their families as well. Um, 
And just as we kind of transition here, I just kind of wanted to talk about, you know, the general social media reaction in the days after uh, Kobe Bryant's passing, um, particularly for myself. I, I honestly, I found it um, rather, uh, I, I'd spent a lot of time thinking, just thinking about this situation. I, I didn't have a um, rather concrete um, relationship uh, to uh, the Kobe Bryant, you know, legend as an NBA legend. I'm not a massive NBA fan. Um, and, uh, you know, it, growing up, I, I think, you know, there were kind of two things that I associated with Kobe Bryant um, other than his Lakers stardom. And that was kind of, you know, this incident in Colorado about 17 years ago that obviously came up and got plenty of social media uh, traction as well as vitriol directed at those people who brought it up. Um, you know, you can obviously read into that. Um, but you know, that, I, that was one of the things that came to mind for me is something that I remember seeing sports center reports about when I was a kid and didn't quite understand that whole situation. And, um, you know, then just kind of the general criticism of Kobe down the stretch of his career where he was kind of, you know, chastised for being a little selfish with the ball and stuff like that. And, um, but what was kind of fascinating to me throughout the course of this week is I really just took some time to read about Kobe and to just listen. Um, and I think that is something that is not done very frequently, um, by people in general these days is, uh, you know, rather than using our platform to just instantly spew our hot take based on what we know. Um, I just kind of took some time to listen to both what people felt of his NBA legacy, uh, what they felt of his personal legacy, um, and just the impact that those who were closest to him had, uh, on them. Um, so, um, you know, I, I touched base with a friend this week who was, you know, kind of similar to me early, early on this week was kind of having some sleepless nights. And, you know, we, we talked about a variety of things related to the situation and the filter that he was kind of using for, um, all this, all the Kobe Bryant takes out there basically is he was focusing on the people who interacted with him directly. And, um, I, I thought that was a pretty good filter to have for this type of situation. Cause there are going to be people who, you know, maybe have had a passing interaction or something like that, uh, or maybe just saw him play or maybe only remember this, that, or the other news report about him. Uh, but didn't really know, the totality of who he was and um you know the, the people that i think whose opinions on this matter the most uh are are those who interacted with him directly and are not trying to maybe speak for those who did um but i think those are kind of the opinions that uh i found i found most valuable as i was trying to get a better sense of you know who who was this guy off the court, um, you know, what was he, what was he about other than, um, just being, 
you know, a Lakers basketball player. So, um, you know, as I read more about him and got to get uh, a little bit more sense for who he was, the, the a couple things kind of stuck out to me that I took a, a couple notes on. Um, you know, the, the lesson that I think I'm taking from this week is really to, you know, build those up around you. Um, the, the thing that people were talking about, and frankly, I saw all over my Twitter timeline before uh, the, her death was even confirmed, Gianna's death was even confirmed, was the clip of Kobe and Gianna sitting courtside, I believe, in a Nets game, just talking basketball. And, um, you know, what I kind of took from that is that, you know, it wasn't, people weren't sharing highlights of dunks. People weren't sharing, um, you know, a lot of stat lines or anything like that. The people think the, the things that people were choosing to remember um, were his relationships to his kids, to um, other people he came in direct contact with. Uh, one of the other things that kind of gathered a lot of traction on social media this week was um, uh, the sports center anchors story about him being so excited about being a girl dad. Uh, and, you know, then the, subsequent hashtag was kind of going viral of, um, you know, hashtag girl dad with fathers taking, uh, sharing photos with them and their daughters. And, um, you know, I think the takeaway here for any of us is that even for the most accomplished among us, relationships are our legacy. And, um, you know, the, the, and perhaps the reason for that is that relationships are the one thing you know, we all as humans have the capacity to have, but nevertheless, it's, it's those relationships that people will remember, uh, over how many points he scored or how much money he earned. Those, those types of things are just, you know, one line in a book, whereas chapters and books, I think will be written about this man's influence on those who that played the game, uh, went on to play the game or just the people that he came in contact with, um, and so that was kind of one of my first takeaways from this is just that, um, you know, relationships are our legacy. So, um, and the other thing that I, you know, kind of took away from this, and I think a lot of people took away from this, whether they had a close association to the sports world or not, was that each moment is precious. And, um, you know, tomorrow is not promised. Uh, one of my favorite clips that came back to light uh, was of Kobe talking about why he uses helicopters. And it was, you know, rather uh, kind of heartbreaking to hear in those hours afterwards. But, um, you know, basically his reasoning behind using helicopters was uh, to make the most of those moments that he would have in the commute with his um, with his daughters, with his kids. Because, um, you know, as especially as he was playing, he was saying that, um, you know, those, those training time and all that eats into potential commuting time and time with kids. And, um, so those, those opportunities, uh, together flying in a helicopter and stuff like that were to take advantage of the time that they had together, particularly when he was playing. And, um, you know, one other thing here, one second. All right, we're back. Uh, saw a tweet from Dexter Fowler of the Cardinals uh, where he said, 
uh, and I'm essentially paraphrasing here, but you know, he, he talked about how professional sports fame and wealth um, typically insulates people from thinking they can be touched, but death really comes for all of us. And, um, you know, I'm sure for professional athletes, not just those that take helicopters, it was kind of, uh, you know, kind of eye-opening that, um, you know, nobody's promised an 80, 90-year-old lifespan. And, um, you know, for all of us, I think we were touched by um, just how quickly everything can, uh, everything in your, you know, that you had planned to do in the future can, um, you know, kind of slip away. So it was, it was very, um, you know, I think caused a lot of us to take some time and reflect on, um, you know, what our priorities are and, um, you know, what, uh, what we have control over, um, because what we have control over is not the time, the place, or really even how we'll be remembered. But, um, you know, I think what you do have control over is, uh, the relationships um, that you have with people and, and the impression that you have on people. I'm running up against my 30-minute time limit uh, here, so I'm going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with a couple other segments I wanted to do, including talking about Zedarius Smith and uh, the Super Bowl. All right, we are back here with Small Town BS Episode 2. Uh, just kind of segueing from the Kobe Bryant news, trying to get into some other sports news in the podcast here. Wanted to talk about one particular report that I saw uh, that kind of upset me as a Packers fan, uh, which was Darius Smith telling Pro Football Talk Live that the Packers were not ready for the NFC Championship. His full quote um, was, we didn't come ready to play. I don't know if everybody was sleeping, but I can tell you for myself that I wasn't ready to play either. We weren't ready to play football. And as a Packers fan, that is frustrating. And we talked on the podcast last week about, you know, I'm not too upset with the loss. I felt that the 49ers were the better team um, and, you know, a more complete team, played a complete game, uh, dominated the Packers in all three phases from as far as I could tell. Um, And, you know, it, it... was just underwhelming to hear this because this was the third trip to California uh, for the Packers this year uh, in between the first 49er game and the Charger game in which they also fell flat. And, you know, between those three games, those were their three worst games of the season. And at a point, you know, it's kind of a cliche, but, um, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. And now we're on the third time. Um, I, I just don't know what what else they needed to see as far as evidence that, you know, maybe what we're doing as far as uh, leaving, you know, a, a day or two before the game. Uh, I believe they were showing up on Saturday for these games, uh, you know, wasn't working. Um, and it's just incredibly frustrating, especially for um, – Aaron Rodgers being a California raised guy and also having a home there with Danica Patrick. I mean, how does, how does no leader on this team step up and say, Hey, you know, we are clearly jet lagged or whatever it is as far as, um, not being 
ready to play these games. And I just, I frankly, I don't know how you're not ready to play in the NFC Championship game for an opportunity to play for the trophy that your coach is named after in Vince Lombardi. I mean, um, it it just is incredible to me that the that the Packers did not have a better organizational mindset because they they have veterans who have been through this before, whether it's Jimmy Graham, whether it's um, you know whether it's Aaron Rodgers, whether it's uh, you know guys who have been through playoff games and stuff like that. This is a young team, but not young enough that um, nobody in that locker room could have stepped up and said, you know, we need to be there earlier to be ready to play for this game. So that was incredibly frustrating news, to, I think, to hear as a, as a Packers fan. And, um, you know, kind of segueing from that into uh, those two teams that will be playing in the Super Bowl, uh, the 49ers and Chiefs. The game is two days away from when I'm recording. Um, admittedly, with all the Kobe stuff going down, I haven't I think like a lot of people, I haven't uh, paid as much attention to Super Bowl week as I would have liked to. Um, but I, I feel like I've seen enough of these teams uh, to get a sense for, for how they play. Uh, I think the you know 49ers are going to try and drag this out in the running game. I think if Jimmy Garoppolo gets into a situation where he's got to go toe-for-toe with Mahomes, uh, I don't think that is a matchup that is going to favor him. Uh, certainly, you think about Garoppolo's experience in the big game. Maybe Mahomes doesn't quite show up, um, you know, ready to play in a Super Bowl. And and Garoppolo, from what he's seen of of Brady over the years, um, having two rings right on the bench for Brady, um, you know, maybe uh, something that he picked up will allow him to, you know, approach the big game with a little bit more poise. Um, but ultimately, I think that. Um, Andy Reid is going to have this Kansas City team ready to play. I think he knows how fleeting these opportunities are, and I think he's going to have uh, you know them firing on all cylinders. They're not going to allow um, a, a repeat of that divisional Texans game I talked about last week in the podcast, where they fell down twenty-four to nothing to the Texans. That is not uh, going to be the way that this one goes. Uh, frankly, I think that the Chiefs grab control early. Um, and for my prediction, I think I'm going to go with uh, Chiefs 35, 49ers 24. So I, I don't think it'll be very close down the stretch. I think uh, 49ers are going to have to throw uh, to keep in this one. Um, and I think uh, the Chiefs are just kind of going to use their team speed to um, kind of counteract the pass rushing ability of the 49er defense. And, I, you know, I, I think uh, Richard Sherman is going to have his hands full with whoever he covers, but uh, I think if he ends up on one of the faster guys on uh, Kansas City, whether it's Tyree Kill or whoever, um, I think they're going to have problems covering him. I think they're going to have uh, problems covering Travis Kelsey, even though they see a somewhat comparable tight end in Greg Little. Uh, every week, so, um, or in, sorry, Craig Little, uh, George Kittle, and wow, brain fart there. Um, but uh, you know, they uh, George Kittle, I think will will also have an impact on the game. But I think you know, it 
there are just too many weapons on this Kansas City offense for the 49er defense to keep them all in check. So I think they kind of run away with the the Super Bowl uh, this weekend. So uh, anyways, we'll be talking more Packers in future weeks as we preview their offseason, as well as reviewing the Brewers' offseason and keeping an eye on the Bucs as they roll through the Eastern Conference. Obviously, when I started this podcast last week, I had no idea such a major moment in the sports world would be occurring between my first and second show. So I kind of had to curtail some previous ideas, but we'll be getting more into the swing of things in future weeks. I hope to have a few guests on on the show in the coming weeks as well. Um, So if you listen to this before Sunday night, tweet your Super Bowl prediction to me at Zach Bellman underscore WNY. Uh, Give me an MVP prediction if you feel about it, if you feel like it, and uh, let me know if you thought the audio sounded a little bit better this time around, and we'll see you next week on Small Town BS.